I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. From Decrypt Media, this is the Decrypt Daily, and my name is Matthew Diemer. Today on the show, it's our Week in Review, and I welcome executive editor Jeff John Roberts to help me go through it. That's coming up today on the Decrypt Daily. Good morning. Welcome to the show. Today is Friday, December 10th, 2021. I want to get straight into this episode with Jeff John Roberts, just a little insider information. And in Decrypt, we call him JJR. I think that's pretty cool. JJR. Let's move along really quickly this morning and get into this conversation. If you sent me an email or sent me a tweet, I'm going to answer your email or tweet within this conversation with Jeff. So stick around and listen for that. Now let's get into those crypto prices. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. And I'm recording this at 10.30 Eastern Standard Time. And Bitcoin is sitting at, let me refresh my screen here. Oh, obviously it went down since I logged in this morning. $48,441, up a half percent in 24. Ethereum's at 4,074, down 2.2%. Binance Coin is at 578, up 0.3%. Teller's in the number four spot. And Solana is at 177, down 3.5%. Running off the top 10, we have Cardano, USDC, XRP, Polkadot, and Terra Luna. Total market cap, we're at 2.25 trillion, a BTC dominance of 40.6 and an F dominance of 21.4. I think we're at the point right now in the crypto space. We have to start asking the real question. Is this the end of the bull market? Now, we have seen lots of pullbacks before. We've seen 20, 30, 35, 37, 38% pullbacks in the crypto space many times over the last bull run. So there's no reason why this isn't just a pullback, and then we're going to get a nice big shot up here in a couple weeks. However, it it does make you wonder, is this the end of it? And we're going to start the slow decline into the next halving, and then we start our cycle all over again. Is it just December, where people are taking profits to buy Christmas presents? Are people harvesting losses so they can put those against their taxes? Are people just actually just kind of skeptical of not knowing where the market's going to go? Let me know what you think. Matthew Aaron at Decrypt.co. That's our question for next week. Do you think this is the end or do you think it's only the beginning? Now it's time for Coin of the Day. Our coin today is Auto, ticker A-U-T-O. Price, $696 even. It is down 5% in 24. Market cap, $36.8 million. Fully diluted market cap is $55.6 million. 66% is in circulation. All-time high for auto. All-time high for auto is, wait, $1,285,000? Set six months ago? What the hell? It's down 99.95% from there. It's up 90% from its all-time low of $363. How many? Oh, its max supply is 80,000 tokens. No wonder. Okay, that makes sense. You can buy it on Binance and Shitcoin Mecca. So what does Auto do? Auto is the native utility and governance token of the Auto Farm protocol. 
AutoFarm is a cross-chain yield aggregator that enables users to get a high return on their assets from yield farming pools by staking AutoFarm vaults. So basically it pays you yield. However, the price is down big over the last six months and it just keeps dropping. Not too sure what's gonna happen here. Not too sure if you're actually getting paid yield. Apparently with WBNB to auto, you can earn 171% APY. <laughs> just let me tell you real quick. I don't think I even have to tell you. If you see something like 171% APY, run, run. Now, without further ado, let's get into our week in review with executive editor Jeff John Roberts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. How you doing, sir? Welcome back. I'm real good, Matthew. How's your Friday going? My Friday is going excellent. A little groggy, a little bit out of it today. I got a booster yesterday and I am uh, trying to get a, I'm going to struggle through this long day. Yeah, well, the weekend's almost here, so good on you for getting your booster. <laughs> Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. But today we are talking about our week in review. And there's been this has actually been a very interesting and it's not the biggest week when it turns to in terms of, say, companies or money or, uh, you know, developments. But it is a big week in regulation in Washington. And this week we had the congressional hearings with the Financial Services Committee. Uh, six CEOs from the crypto space came down to Washington to talk to them. And well, first, who were the CEOs that came down to Washington? Uh, this was interesting. This is the biggest crypto hearing in years, if ever. Um, who is there? Sam Bankman-Fried, of course, the big name. Uh, Coinbase, strangely, did not send Brian Armstrong. Um, I'm not sure why they didn't. Uh, possibly strategic because he sort of fought with regulators. They sent a CFO who's technically CEO of uh, Coinbase North America. Um, Bitfury was there. Stellar was there. Um, Paxos was there. The notable omission was Binance wasn't there, but otherwise all the big players. Oh, Circle was there. That's uh, That was the other big player there. Yeah, Jeremy Allaire was, was there. And uh, Brian Brooks absolutely killed it uh, for Bitfury, old CEO of Binance.us and Office of the Controller of the Currency, Brian Brooks. He was definitely a political star on that stage. But what was the overall tone and the theme of this hearing? Um, Matthew, I was genuinely surprised because normally when DC people get into crypto, they have no idea what they're talking about, or they just simply say, this is for criminals and start asking just random questions like, why are you financing drug crimes? Um, to everyone's pleasant surprise, a lot of the people, members of Congress had really done their homework and were asking about, some were asking about like, you know, Web3 applications, some were asking about NFTs, you know, not all of them that level of sophistication, but by and large, it was a very mature, respectful discussion. There was one guy, I think, Representative Sherman from uh, California, who went on this weird tangent and said, like, Bitcoin will disappear. And what about Mongoose coin? But 
he was the outlier two years ago. That would have been the uh, the exception. Um, this time, the amount of sophistication was very high. I mean, some were skeptical. The Democrats were a little more skeptical, but not all of them. You know, one of the Democrats was like, hey, how can we write Web3 rules, which was really cool to see. Uh, there was some concern about, you know, money laundering um, and the threat to the US dollar from crypto. But as I said, when they asked their questions, it was not from a position of hostility, which uh, which really shows crypto has made huge strides in Washington. I don't know when or how, but it's interesting to see. Well, right from Decrypt, uh, Tim Hockey wrote an article today saying that lobbyists put $5 million into the Senate to uh, advocate for crypto. And I was actually just listening to um, a podcast the other day. I think it was uh, The Daily with uh, Michael Barbaro. And he was talking about lobbyists and, and things like that. And they don't want to be called influence. They don't want to influence votes. But they call it, lobbyists say, is educate. Do you think that a lot of this uh, maybe sophistication that you're seeing in Washington is because of the crypto lobby coming out? Uh, yeah, of course, they're lobbyists. You know, maybe it's not a nice word, but that's just the game, especially in American politics. But you have to remember the banks have the most lobbyists and been doing this for 100 years. So I don't think it's unreasonable for the crypto industry to be sort of trying to flex its muscle and get into that game, too. And started the year, they had almost nothing. But I think a lot of people recognize the growing importance of regulation and a lot more money came into the space and money talks in American politics. So I think you're right. That's almost certainly, um, you know, one of the reasons we saw a better educated um, class of congressmen than before. Do you think the, the conversation moved the crypto uh, ball forward or do you think it stayed stagnant, moved it back a little bit? How do you think that the future of crypto or the blockchain industry or Bitcoin is going to look after this hearing? I mean, nothing happens right away, of course, but, you know, several of the legislators were like, you know, let's go work together on a law for Web3 and to facilitate this. And, you know, I'm usually pretty skeptical about U.S. Congress, but, um, you know, this has happened before when the Internet was first coming uh, in the late 90s. uh, Congress passed a couple of laws to make sure it sort of flourished on American shores. uh, And that worked, you know, beyond the country's wildest dreams. It gave us Silicon Valley. Um, So if they get it right, it's very possible that rather than as has happened so far, where they just keep you know, stimming it and barricading it and harassing the crypto industry, they could write laws that actually facilitate the best of it here. I mean, don't get your hopes up, but this is the most optimistic thing I've seen in a long time. To, to follow up what you said, a representative from uh, Ohio 16, Anthony Gonzalez, asked uh, Sam Brinkman-Fried that same thing. He said, hey, do you feel that there is, because Sam Brinkman-Fried uh, was in Hong Kong for the longest time, he now moved uh, over to this side of the, the hemisphere, uh, but Sam Brinkman-Fried was asked by Anthony Gonzalez, do you think that a lot of crypto companies or startups are being are starting up overseas because of the friction of doing it in the United States? And Sam said, yes, we have to change that. We have to make it more welcoming. And so I, I see that some congressmen are looking at this as a future um, industry, uh, innovation, jobs, income, GDP, and taxes, and so on and so forth. But there are still people pushing back on it. And why do you think that they are pushing back with, with the tone? It's almost like some people wanted to be attackers and some people wanted to learn and understand the space. Well, a lot of people in Congress are in their 60s or 70s or 80s, and new technology is often threatening. So it's easy just to say, you know, oh, this is Bitcoins for criminals. And that's that. And part of it's just laziness. That's starting to change. Part of it, though, is the banking lobby who does not want um, you know, crypto to get a bigger foothold because it's starting to eat their lunch in some capacities. But as what Sam Bankman-Fried said, yes, uh, it's true. A lot of you know people have moved to other shores. And the crazy thing, people pointed out repeatedly in the hearing, we're not talking about just like going places like Bermuda or Malta that specialized in like regulatory arbitrage. We're talking about like Canada, you know, which is not known as a rogue state by any means. Canada has a Bitcoin ETF and a bunch of other 
you know, crypto financial products. So do some European countries. And yeah, I think the, you know, the US government has been making a mistake in driving this industry overseas. One thing I didn't hear about in this, uh, first, I want to go back to your original statement that you thought it was um, strange or interesting that Brian Armstrong didn't come. And I, I, I want to just make a statement about Brad Sherman uh, first, because he's the only person on that committee that I saw bring it up that said everybody else said, sent their CEOs, but Brian Armstrong couldn't be bothered. This is what he said, couldn't be bothered to show up and send his number two first. How do you feel about the hostility? And I, I personally feel it, it was condescending to Alicia Haas, uh, who is the CEO of Coinbase Inc. And the CFO, this is a financial service committee. I mean, it makes almost sense that the CFO would come and talk to that committee. But I almost feel that it was insulting, condescending, and especially in an industry um, where it is male dominated still. Uh, we want to be welcoming and, and, fi- and find and help and support uh, other people and women getting into the space. And then the, this person who is honestly the uh, one of the top people in our industry goes in front of Congress and gets, you know, spit on, in my my opinion, by Brad Sherman, I thought it was a very, very bad look. And I think that the crypto space should push back. Do you think that I'm wrong with that assessment? Well, Brian, Brad Sherman, who's you know a, a Democrat congressman from outside Los Angeles, has gotten the meme treatment. I mean, just Google him on Twitter and he's you know made a series of ridiculous comments. He's trying to be funny saying, you know, well, Mongoose coin will eat Cobra coin and just kind of riffing on like the sillier meme culture of, of crypto. But it was clear he didn't really know what he was talking about. And yeah, I think he was, uh, he was quite rude to Alicia Haas. Um, the underlying point, why didn't Coinbase send its CEO? That's He was basically borrowing from a tech industry playbook because they've had CEOs like Mark Zuckerberg of Facebook and Jack Dorsey of Twitter up there. And before those CEOs came, they sent you know more junior executives. So maybe that's a fine line of attack, but it seemed clearly, I've heard from a number of people too, Brad Sherman is a close ally of the big US banks. So it sort of seemed like their lobbyists perhaps had, had prepped him with some lines of attack on this line. So that's where that came. I don't know for sure, but it was just so strange because he was stood out amongst otherwise a very kind of respectful, um, thought-provoking discussion for Congress. And I rarely say those words in the same sentence. Normally, his congressional hearings are a complete like, you know, dog and pony show. Uh, but right. this was actually kind of interesting and, and educative for a lot of people. I, I, would, I wouldn't say she was a, a junior executive. No, fair enough. CFO is like the number two in the company. And um, yeah, you're right. I think the, the uh, Representative Sherman was, was uh, rather rude to her, but uh, I'm sure she can handle it. <laughs> I'm sure she can. Uh, I want to move a little bit over uh, from the from this discussion. And I think that this discussion actually kind of encompasses this other question I have for you. And one thing that we have a theme on the show this week is talking about congressional members holding individual stocks. And when we're talking about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, I'm trying to figure out if they fall into the, I guess, the same idea that congressional members should or should not hold individual stocks. That's a discussion. Actually, I want to ask your opinion. Do you think that when it comes to traditional stocks, Tesla, uh, Microsoft, or whatever, do you think congressmen should hold individual stocks? And do you think that Bitcoin or Ethereum or other cryptocurrencies fall into the same category? Yeah, I don't see why there should be a difference. I mean, you know, it's this is I'm coming in over my head or above my pay grade on these questions of congressional ethics. But, you know, on one hand, I think if you serve as a member of Congress, you shouldn't be forbidden from owning investments. Where the ethical issues come up is when uh, saying members of Congress trade on trade stocks based on information they have. That's enormously unethical. I think the best model would be like what the Supreme Court does. You can have investments, but it's put in a blind trust, you know, or else you risk these members of Congress trading on inside information 
or doing favors for companies of stock sale, which is terrible. Um, but why should crypto be any different? I, you know, I don't think it should be. I think, you know, we don't say Congress, people of Congress, you can't own bonds or shares of Apple. So why can't they own crypto? Um, you know, I think perhaps there should be disclosure rules. I think those are there already. And some members of Congress do already. I mean, I know um, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, uh, AOC, the sort of star progressive Democrat, said she doesn't own Bitcoin, but I think she said she doesn't own stocks either or something like that. But I think that, you know, which is good for her, you know, fair ethical position, but I don't think that's typical. And I just think crypto is becoming such a big new asset class. It's like telling people they can't own gold or, you know, just pick some other asset class. So I think increasingly members of Congress will have it. And I think the important thing is for them to disclose what they own. And, but I think they do that already. So. In my opinion, I think owning stocks is different because, or owning Bitcoin on, say, different platforms, for example, like Robinhood. Uh, owning Bitcoin on Robinhood, you're not owning Bitcoin. You're not uh, able to take it out yet uh, of your uh, out of Robinhood and control your private keys. So therefore, it is kind of like buying stocks. You're basically putting money into Bitcoin or Tesla to watch number go up. Uh, so I can see how a lot of people could think it's a stock. But if you are controlling your keys and you hodl, or if you are uh, you know, putting it into, like, say, a wallet, uh, MetaMask or Phantom, if you're Solana, the utility of cryptocurrency makes it so that it isn't a stock. So you have to have Ethereum and hold Ethereum for gas. You have to hold Solana for gas or if you're going to mint uh, an NFT or if you're going to be you know, voting in a DAO or if you're going to be participating in DeFi. These are, these are now utilities as well as something of a number go up. Uh, that's why I'm kind of thinking that it doesn't fall into the same category as a stock. And also, I would like to say that if a congressperson or somebody who's making legislation on this emerging tech doesn't hold or use or interact with the technology, how are you going to legislate on it? It's kind of saying, I don't have an email. I don't get online. I don't use chat rooms back in the early 90s and then try to legislate on the internet without understanding like what is going on in the space. Do you agree with my statement there? Or do you think that there is more differentiation that we need to make? Um, I confess I hadn't thought of that, Matthew, but that's an excellent point. You're right. I mean, I might have shares of Apple and Tesla, but I literally can't do anything except, you know, own them or maybe print them out on a piece of paper. Whereas you're right to navigate the crypto landscape, you need to own a little bit. So, um, you know, I mean, I still think ethical issues can arise, but, you know, as a reporter, we have that at Decrypt where reporters have to disclose what they own to show there's no conflict of interest. But we actually do encourage reporters to own a little bit because you need to figure out how MetaMask works, how DeFi works. And, you know, you, it's, you can do that in theory, but it's nothing like actually getting your hands on it or owning like your own hardware wallet to find out how it all works. So <clears throat> more broadly, I mean, I wish what Congress would do, my dream legislation would be sort of a, there's, they call it a de minimis exemption, because right now, if you touch crypto and sell it, buy a cup of coffee with it, oh, that's a tax headache. So some people have proposed that, you know, below $200, below $1,000. Crypto should not be taxable for the very reason you're citing so that people can, you know, go and play Axie Infinity or whatever they want to do. You know, let's not buy naive. A lot of the reason people own crypto is to, you know, fill their bag and get rich. But, you know, a lot of the blockchain technology, you're right, really does require you to own a little bit. So, yeah. And I, I didn't hear that come up in the, in the hearing, but I hope, you know, it's, it's a great idea. If you make it to Congress, I think you should pass a law letting people own a little bit of crypto to play with it. Hey, thank you. Thank you. I'll, I'll try. I'll put that on my on my platform. Um, it is on my platform, actually. Uh, last thing I want to ask you is I had a tweet yesterday. I replied to a tweet that I sent out yesterday and somebody asked me a, a nuanced question that I hate 
engaging with people on Twitter in nuanced questions. If it was like a thumbs up, a thank you, thank you for replying, stuff like that, I will. But we always know how Facebook and Twitter uh, conversations or arguments or discussions can devolve into just it, nobody's nobody's really reading and understanding and listening. So I, I don't like to really engage in that way. But yeah, I no did, one ever changes their mind based on a Twitter exchange. I'll tell you that. So never, never. Uh, so somebody re- tweet, tweeted and replied to one of my tweets and said, can you please explain the benefit of cryptocurrency and how it won't negatively affect the value of the dollar? Also, how can it be manipulated by criminals to enrich themselves, but also launder money from nefarious deeds? And he says, I'm serious, but he wants to understand why I'm supporting or why we are advocating for a cryptocurrency in this industry if it could devalue the dollar and still be used by criminals. Do you have an answer to him? Uh, there's a lot to unpack in there. I mean, all of those are legitimate concerns. You know, some of the crypto industry is like, no, you're, you know, sort of maligning Bitcoin by saying it's being used by criminals. It's totally being used by criminals, but they're increasingly the minority. And guess what else <laughs> criminals use? They use $100 bills. They use Apple gift cards. You know, it's just another thing that can be misused. And increasingly, the big platforms providing crypto are doing a good job in sort of, you know, checking for, you know, shady actors and all that. So it's an ongoing problem, a legitimate concern, but not any justification for stopping and larger benefits to technology. Just like the internet, when it came first came out, people were like, oh my God, criminals are doing bad things on the internet. Let's get rid of the internet. You know, you just can't look at it that way. Uh, the other question about the US dollar is a very interesting one. This came up in Congress several times. Um, the issue is one of America's biggest strategic assets, along with the US military, is the dollar. Because everywhere around the world, people use, use US dollars. Other countries trade in it. This makes the price of you know, the dollar cheap. America can borrow very cheaply. It's the globe's reserve currency. Um, and that means the interest America pays on its debt is very, very low. Um, if something comes along and displaces that, that would be good. And believe me, China is trying to actively displace US dollar. Russia is doing the same by putting their own digital currencies up and by you know, kind of promoting crypto. Um, the good answer at the, at the congressional hearing, I think, um, is Brian Brooks, uh, the former uh, CEO of Binance and head of Bitfury said is um, what you want to do is find a place for these in the banking system, ideally stable coins, and provide a better technology because crypto and blockchain technology is just a superior way to move money around. Um, and if everyone else is using it and the US is still you know, relying on like the, the old school, you know, SWIFT system from the 70s to move money around, that is going to, you know, ensure that people leave the US dollar. So, you know, I think these are good questions and we're still figuring out the answers, but there's absolutely no reason not to pursue crypto. Its technological advantages are just so superior. Um, the opportunities it offers is enormous. And it's we're at the dawn of a new industry like the early internet. And it would be very foolish to try to shut it down rather than trying to figure out how to leverage it to the for the best interest of America. That's my opinion. I, I tend to agree with you. I think if you want to negatively affect the dollar, it's to look at innovations in the banking or finance industry and disre- disregard them and not adopt them and understand how they fit into our either our national security, national banking system, and also look at what countries are doing abroad by uh, adopting them and also integrating them. And I, I think that when people are looking at cryptocurrency, they're just looking at either one aspect of it, but there are things like CBDCs, which is a blockchain-based digital dollar or digital currency, as well as DeFi DAOs. And I think that one thing that we have to look at as well is the um, smart contracts, uh, DeFi, the inclusivity that uh, these kind of automated, for lack of a better word, or decentralized uh, financial products 
allow people for you know loans and mortgages and banks and borrowing and um, interest payments. Um, and I think that you know what we're seeing here in the you know going to the other one is how it's going to be used by criminals or manipulated by criminals. Is I think that what we're doing with the crypto space is we are moving a lot of the old ways of money laundering when it came to physical items and putting them into digital, and now it's becoming more apparent of how we can say launder money or use uh, currencies for nefarious means. For example, we always knew, knew or some people knew, know that expensive items like violins, old you know, million dollar, two million dollar violins or our works of art were ways of, money, of laundering money. Um, and But now we're, we're seeing that NFTs are going for millions or hundreds of thousands. Uh, now they're saying, oh, well, that's for money laundering. Well, it's just the same practice, but now in digital. And now we have to have a way with digital to either whitelist uh, wallets to uh, KYC, AML, um, people in their creations to understand where it's moving because it's moving in online and digital on a blockchain. So it's very transparent. It's not somebody taking a violin on a plane and then dropping it off in another country and saying, no, I just, you know, put a million dollars from one country to another. So I think that what we're doing is basically taking the conversation and moving it to a more, I guess, digestible uh, understanding that is more inclusive to everybody than say the money laundering of the past, where it was only for rich people with very, very niche and rich or rare items or processes that were money laundering. And now it's going to the digital space. Yeah, that's a really good summary. I mean, you know, once again, crypto is a new technology and everyone uses new technology, good guys and bad guys. You know, again, the panic over the internet when it came out was the internet was a huge advantage to terrorists who could communicate securely and spread their propaganda like never before to, you know, child pornographers, you know, and other, you know, list of very bad people. And the answer is not to get rid of the internet. The answer is to focus on how to, you know, curtail the bad guys while letting the, you know, the, the good people use it, including, you know, the benefits of crypto, including financial inclusion are enormous. So, you know, the idea of just trying to legislate it out of existence is crazy. And you know why else, Matthew, is because you're not going to stop it. The other lesson of technology is if there's a superior new technology, you know, you, you can't suppress it. You know, you might not like the internet, but, you know, the internet won in the end. And I think the same trajectory is going to happen with crypto. Jeff John Roberts, executive editor of Decrypt. Thanks for coming on the show, doing our weekend review and having these conversations with us. Always a pleasure, Matthew. Thanks so much for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Decrypt Daily. My name is Matthew Deemer. Don't forget to go to Apple Podcasts, like, subscribe, share, and leave us a comment. And I'll be back tomorrow with our weekend update. And if I'm a little low energy today, it's because I got my booster yesterday and I'm just feeling a little bit tired. Not sick, but just a little bit tired. Not even achy, just tired. Anyway, I'll see you tomorrow. Happy hodling, everyone.